0: Hi, welcome to the Indie Wine Podcast. This is episode seven. My name is Matt Wood, and today we're hearing from Adam Sibeli Frisch of Sibeli Frisch Winery in LA. Adam works extensively with Mission Grapes, making dry wines as well as Angelica from them. He's also sourcing lots of grapes from Lodi and Santa Barbara, making Zinfandel, Riesling, Syrah, Tokay, and more. A cinematographer by trade, he launched the winery with his first harvest in 2018. I hope you enjoy. Here we go. I've always been a film
1: kid, you know, film geek. So it was a, that was my dream to become a cinematographer when I was young, and I, I kind of did that. So it's good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How did you get started in the wine business?
1: Well, one of the perks of the cinematography career, uh, especially when you do commercials, is that you get to travel the world a little bit to shoot commercials, and you get taken to really nice restaurants on someone else's dime uh mm-hmm. and uh, where you drink nice wines and so i i was pretty early on i was introduced to wine not only in the career my my grandfather was also very very into wine so uh, i've always been interested in wine and eventually uh, i started home winemaking, and that led to starting the winery you know uh, This will be my sixth harvest now, so about five years ago.
0: What type of grapes were you working with for your home winemaking?
1: Well, it was very rudimentary. I used to buy, like, table grapes and just uh, grapes from local places around here, little farm um, markets and stuff like that. So it was not – some of them I didn't even know what they are, you know. Mm -hmm. And I still have some of that wine, and it's probably terrible. I haven't opened it in a while, but uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: So, uh, 2018, was that your first harvest? Yeah, it was the first vintage. And I kind of told my wife that
1: I think I want to do this in, I think, maybe May. And I incorporated, I think, in June. And by, you know, August or September, I was already on my first uh, harvest to pick. So, that was pretty fast. But when I do, I tend to be like that. I tend to make my mind up pretty fast. And then I just go for things and... And then hey, I did way too much uh, grapes that first year because you kind of, what all, always happens is you, you're like a kid in a candy shop. It's so new. It's so fun. So you buy way too much grapes. Yeah. And then have had to realize, oh, I got to sell all this and try to, you know, nobody knows me and my brand. So that was, <laughs> but anyway.
0: Did you plan to start with Mission and other kind of underappreciated grapes from the start? Or did you have your eyes set on something different when you were first getting going?
1: No, it was – so, I'll try to make this as brief as I can. But I I got very much into, like, natural wine in about 2015. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that also coincided with my home winemaking and natural ferments and all that stuff. And I thought it'd be so cool to make um, wines from Native American grapes, you know, because there's a whole strand that's kind of developed parallel here and so that was the initial idea and then i tried (laughs) some of those wines have been made from norton grapes and all these hybrids and, and none of them really you know were that good in my opinion so i thought you know here i am a new winemaker nobody knows me with a grape that nobody's heard of it's just maybe a bridge too far so then i came back to what is the oldest vitis vinifera grape here in the new world, and that's of course his mission. So then I got obsessed with mission, and but mission was you know very very scarce uh, then, and still is. But so it was really hard to find. It took me a long time to find uh, that vineyard that I finally um, started working with.
0: Was to ask if you had trouble kind of tracking down your your sources for mission at the beginning?
1: Yeah, I mean I was all over. I I. I I was like a little detective, you know, running on leads. I was calling up farmers in Simi Valley. D- I heard you had a, a bush of that in the back. <laughs> Is it still there? And, you know, it was all crazy stuff like that. And then I, I could never ever get any amounts, you know. It was always like, oh, maybe there's a one left, you know. So yeah. um, I was very glad. When I, and finally, this one actually came up on winebusiness.com and I couldn't believe it. And it's like mission grapes, 80 tons available. I'm like, what the hell? And (laughs) I remember I was so nervous, like he was going to sell it to someone else. I didn't know that nobody at that time, 2018, nobody really were that into them. Um, That's kind of come a little bit later now. But anyway, so I was like, you have to promise me you reserve at least four tons for me. (laughs) He's like, don't worry,
0: it's not going to sell out. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and it was that uh, Summer's uh, Vineyard?
1: Correct, yes. Yeah, that's a really cool vineyard. You're still working with that fruit? Still working with that fruit, and it makes, I think, makes amazing um, missions. I've had missions from quite a few other places, and I think Summer's is the one of the best. There is one in Santa Barbara uh, County that is amazing. Russek. I don't know if you've heard them. Okay. I shouldn't yeah. be promoting someone else, I suppose, but they, they have a cli- <laughs> they have clippings from one of the islands, you know, one of those um, San Nicolas Island, I think, that they transplanted. Okay. Um, and that, that mission is fantastic, I find. Uh, but I think uh, Somers is a very, very good vineyard because it's all dry farmed, own rooted, you know. And there was a long debate about how old those grapes were. You know, some people thought it was 1870. But I think the consensus now is that it's from the 70s because Tegan Pasalaqua, who has Sandlands and, and is the winemaker, Turley, he has a aerial photo uh, from the 50s of that vineyard, and it's not planted yet. So it's probably okay. 70s, which makes it a historic vineyard this, you know, about now, yeah. about 50 years. Or, yeah, 60 almost. Yeah.
0: <sighs> yeah. You mentioned the vineyard in Santa Barbara having cuttings from one of the islands. Do you have any notion whether the clonal material is the same in a lot of these older mission vineyards? Like whether I don't whether think these grapes had the same origination point, or if they're all a little unique. I think they're all a little unique. That's that's the only way I can explain
1: how they can be so different. And you know that when you compare North American mission with South American, I find that the South American ones are much more um, peppery than the North American okay. ones. So there might be something here that's a togetherness here, and but they're still very different. So, I, you know, who, who knows? It could be just the soil and the temperature and the climate. Um, but, yeah, that's my guess. Yeah, and they would have
0: been planted years apart in yeah. any case as the, as the different missions were built.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know the mission vine that's on St. Gabriel, what's it called? Um, here, here in Los Angeles, there is a... A very old one down at the mission, yeah, uh, San Gabriel, I think mission, and yeah. but that one is, I think, a hybrid. It has crossed with some sort of native, so it's uh, oh, really? half mission, half something else. Very,
0: very interesting. And that that thing is, I mean, two hundred years old plus, you know. And you make um, you make a couple different missions from that summer's Vineyard. What's the difference in how you treat the wines? I think you have the La Malinche and then the the Hernan. Yeah. Right. Or the, the Lama Linche may not e- exist in that name anymore, I suppose. Right. I right. had to
1: stop using that name, unfortunately. But um, uh, yeah, so the Hernan was always to pick a little bit later, uh, maybe two, I mean, on average, it's been about two, three to four weeks later, and then have a bigger oak profiling on them, a little more new oak and a little more longer elevage. And they've been pretty. Pretty different. I mean, in all fairness, I, I only did it the first in 2019 and 2020. 2020 was a very hot year for, for me, at least. And mm-hmm. that wine got very big. It's a 15.5 um, mission, that Hernan. And, and But in the end, I thought maybe the differences are not worth the effort a little bit, because it's you have to go up with a okay. truck one more time and pick, you know, it's just a whole... And that's maybe better spent at my other vineyards because I'm so overwhelmed during harvest anyway, you know. So I haven't done it since 2020. But uh, they're they're very interesting expressions. And the 2019 was very, very well loved. Uh, The 2020 is just coming out to customers now. So we'll see if
0: they like it. It's pretty big. So we'll see if people like it. (laughs) Do you tend to treat your missions differently in the winery than some other wineries, you think?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I kind of lucked upon this way of doing it. I think it just turned out that it was pretty good the first year I made it. Um, But what we did was first year we kind of set the – at that time, I should say, I was at a custom crush facility. So I had like a winemaker there help me with because I was so new that I didn't know really all the – so they kind of had those procedures set a little bit on how they wanted to – and but we did the longer maceration on it, and we had a very light oak profiling on it, and it seemed to work for the first year. I dialed back a little bit on that on 2019, and I think the 19 is a little fresher and maybe the more zippier of the two. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's pretty you know, with DSTEM, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, native yeast, nat, referments, let them go dry, and then maybe stay an extra couple of days a week on skins. And that's about it. Okay.
0: Yeah. How long do you keep them in barrel for usually?
1: About a year, I would say. Yeah, and it's been more and more neutral as I go along. You know, in that mm-hmm. barrels, so and now it's I think the the new one that's just getting released here in spring called Marina. It's the new name of it. Has no new oak on it. Maybe if I recall correctly, there might have been one second year barrel on one of them, one of the lots, but that's about it.
0: Yeah, you also make some Angelica from Mission. How's that? Uh, Correct. How's the Angelica yes. working out for you? <laughs> it's
1: lovely. It's really nice, and it's a funny thing. Um, I had um, Daniel Nieport came to visit the uh, winery yesterday. Oh. You know, and they're very, very famous port producer in Portugal. Dirk Nieport, yes, I think, is his father and uh, so we tried all his uh, knee ports and then I gave him the angelica at the end and he was like wow this is really cool because it has a lot of tannins which is which is a characteristic of mission it has a lot of that kind of bitter kind of Campari notes you know Um, yeah and he said this is amazing it really works really well when it's fortified and it's it's true you know it's it really is a very good grape fortification and that's what the old padres used it for mainly but you know Sweet wines are always hard sell. It's, it sells. People love it. It has very high scores on Cellar Tracker. But it's not a big seller, you know. It's just sweet wines just don't sell that much. So, and, and, and yeah. so that first year also, I should be completely honest. That first Angelica I made is actually was started by Brian Harrington, Uh, of Harrington wines he was retiring and it was if from somers vineyard and he said adam i want you to have my two barrels of angelica because you're the only one who's so dedicated to mission so i took that over from him and i just i just changed it i thought it was a little too sweet so i i i just took the sweetness down a touch um uh, and then kind of bottled it two years later and um uh, yeah it's been really really nice now I have a new one uh, in barrel um, and inspired by Tegan again, who also makes um, an Angelica. He says that the, the correct way to do it historically is to direct press the juice and not have it macerate and get red color. So it's 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 a
0: okay. So no skin in essence, or anything exactly.
1: With it. So that's what I did. So it's, a, in essence, an Angelica Blanco, or if you want to call it that, or whatever. So that's kind of in barrel still, and it's developing and probably another year or two before I can release that.
0: And you're fortifying that basically right at the start of fermentation, essentially. You're fortifying the wine. Exactly. So what Brian did, he let it start fermenting a little bit to get the, the
1: color and then fortified it. This one, I fortified immediately, right after press. So, it's basically just grape juice and fortification, and then you let it age in barrels. It's developing really nicely. It has a really, really interesting hazelnut taste right now, which is, I don't know where that came from, but it's amazing.
0: Is that aged pretty reductively? You keep the barrels topped up, or is it okay to get some oxidative aging going with it? That's what I have done, uh,
1: mainly because I don't have anything to top it up with. Uh, You know, I could top it up with just wine, but I feel like, and I think that with the yeah with the fortification, it can kind of take a little bit of that more than you could with a with wine. You know, so I've been done that. We'll see if that works out. I have one barrel. I made three barrels so far. One barrel is showing not so nice features. Uh, Okay. Let me put it that way. so so the two other ones. So maybe that one had some strain that didn't mm-hmm. go you know or, or or just reacted to the oxygen differently. you know, so we'll see it's not bad, but it's 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 different than the others.
0: And then I know you've been on the the search for mission Vineyards and have you found any other ones that you enjoy working with or that you you might potentially work with or do you you feel pretty embedded in uh, summers there?
1: No, I would love to have one more Mission Vineyard. That, that would be amazing. And I'll tell you what, there's a couple of stories that broke my heart. So just when I started, there was a farmer who called me. He said, oh, I heard you're interested in Mission. And then I, I have some in El Dorado County. And then I couldn't get back to That year, I was kind of tapped out, so I couldn't. And the year after, I was like, so what happened to that? Do you still have that? He said, I tore uh, it all out. Hey. 70-year-old wow. Mission Wines. He had like 30 acres of it. He said, I'm sick of not being able to sell it. And I was like, oh, if you just waited one more year, I could have helped you, you know. But so that's unfortunately how it goes sometimes. So um, there is one in Santa Barbara County. I'm trying to find out. It it was an old, I don't know if you know, there's an old, um, there was a a winery, female owned actually. Uh, She made a little Angelica from... Uh, missions that she found on okay. her property. And I think she sold that property. Uh, but I'm trying to find out if the mission's still there. That would be amazing to f- get one also closer to home, you know, here since I'm LA-based.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if there are any, if there's any mission vineyards in LA area.
1: Oh, yeah. And then there there, there are quite a few here, but they're all, um, Abe Schoner, from the, he has one that he uh, has kind of, that he uses and there's another friend of mine who has found one who's kind of um restoring an old one that he kind of found so we'll see maybe in the future there's going to be enough fruit for for me to get in on there hopefully i'd love to have a couple more missions just to show a different expression you know
0: another grape that you work with that it it kind of makes mission look very well known is the flame tokay um (laughs) (laughs) yeah how exactly um, how did you come across working with that grape? And where were those grapes going before you before you started with them?
1: Yeah, so that's a fun story. So what, my kind of um, grape whisperer in Lodi, Mike, shout out to Mike. Um, he sent me just a picture of these. And he's like, do you want these? I was like, what the hell are they, first of all? Well, they're called flame Tokay. Okay. I never heard of it, so I had to Google it. Yeah. And... I was like, "What am I going to do with those?" I, I, I don't know. But then the color—he was—he was—he ha- kind of sent me a picture of, of um, the cluster in his hand. And it had this beautiful pink color, and I thought, "Wow, that color is so amazing!" I wonder if you could kind of—if inf- you did like a little light skin contact, would it infuse the wine in that in that vein in that color? So I thought, you know, I, it was cheap as well. They wanted very little money for it. Uh, the fruits. So I thought, why, why don't I experiment and try it? But You know, flame toka is pretty big um, berries. um, So they're hard to Mm -hmm. process, to be honest, because they don't go through the de So you kind of have to either foot thread them and and keep the stems on or or otherwise just crush them simply. So they they kind of threw a wrench in the winery machinery, you know, when they first came in. And then I didn't, wasn't quite sure how to, vinified the means I had them I think it was four months on the skin for the first year
0: oh wow okay so real extended maceration on those
1: right and when I tasted
0: it you know throughout I was like
1: man I've gone too far with this but after you you know we pressed it and then it sat for another year or whatever it was it turned out to be beautiful actually it's just the perfect and I've had less maceration since then because it just hasn't been practical to do so they're about a month now but I'm, I think this year I'm going to go back to that little slightly longer one that I had the first year because there's something about also when they've aged. When I, when you tw- try the 2018 now, it's it's actually really really nice.
0: Nice, yeah, it's such a unique wine. Yeah, you've been working with a different vineyard for the the flame recently, or is it the same same source?
1: No, that's a good point. Uh, so the first year I took from a small homestead. It's not really a vineyard. Uh, called uh, Chandler Vineyards, it's, it's this woman called Chandler, she owns a, has an old property there, and the west side of Lodi, uh, Lodi, sorry, <clears throat> and then it became quite, let's just say that the farming wasn't li- kind of, it was a little bit hit and miss, so it was hard to kind of okay. pick that vineyard, uh, a lot of bunch rot, a lot of problems, and um, so I I was looking for another one, and then I found a little bit more from the Perlegos brother, the same people who own um, the Stampede Vineyard, where I take his yeah. infidel, and, you know, very nice, great people, great farmers. Um, but I finally found one, uh, a gentleman, he'd let it fallow for okay. a few years, and he said he just wanted someone to farm it. So I kind of took it over and, and started farming it. You know, I don't farm because I'm, I'm a city <laughs> boy, but I have you know, Mike helped me farm it for me, you know, cause he knows what he's doing. <laughs> uh, but so I took that over and and, and that's been the ma- majority of that wine comes from the Blodgett okay. Vineyard it's called. And it's also on the west side of Lodi.
0: Any idea what was happening with those grapes before you stepped it? I guess that one that one was fallow. So a lot of them, it seems like we're just, just kind of rotting on the, the vine basically. Totally,
1: or, and they or they went into like Gallo blends for you know two hundred dollars a ton. You know, just absolutely in in the mix with everything else. That's, but you know, there's very little left. You know, um, there's a and most of the farmers, even though they keep everything else up in the vineyard, like um, for instance the Zinfandel I take from Lachlan Vineyard. He had five acres uh, of. Flamed Tokai, and he just let it fall in the middle of the vineyard because it was just not worth his, you know, farming efforts, basically. It's just really sad. And now they're too far gone. You can't really bring them back. You have to replant.
0: Yeah, it's sad for a, a grape that was so so important to Lodi for a long time back in the day. Yeah. It's like the Lodi exactly. grape.
1: Yeah, you drive through the town and everything's like the flame this, the Tokai that, and, you know. It really had a huge impact on that area, you know. And also amazing grapes to eat. They're just so much more tasty than the the seedless ones. It's just a huge, huge difference.
0: Yeah, I've never tried one fresh, but I know those seeds get in the way for people. (laughs) I know, I know. I I get it, you know. (laughs) Do you still age that wine in amphora, or or have you switched vessels for aging? I've switched,
1: yes. So they go into neutral uh, barrels okay. now uh, because the Amphora, I only have one Amphora left. I was gung ho on Amphora's in the beginning and I had four of them. And in the end, they're just kind of hard to manage. They they don't, when you have a very small space like I do too, it, they're really hard to, they take up a lot of floor space without, you can't stack them. And so I got rid of three of them. I only have one left. And that one I use for my white Zinfandel now. Okay. Because it seems to suit that, yeah, very well. But Maybe this year I'll switch it up and I, I don't know. I'll, I'll see. Because I want to do extended maceration this year on the flame toke. So I'll see. I might just do it in a tank, but we'll, we'll see how that goes.
0: You've been working with Zinfandel. It, it seems like you've been kind of adding some more Zins to your, your winery every year. Um, yeah, exactly. What is it that you're yeah. liking about Zinfandel?
1: Well, I've always enjoyed Zinfandel. And that was kind of my first discoveries of American wine in the Sweden because I'm originally from Sweden, was those kind of uh, easy drink. This is the early '90s, you know, turning leaf, Fetzer, Syngenta that kind of came in then, and uh, we were always kind of amazed at how ready to drink they were, and how welcoming and mm-hmm. sunshiny they were. So I've always been intrigued by it. Uh, in the beginning, I didn't. I, I, I suppose I had a revel. I just didn't see what the company's or the winery's kind of focus should be. And now I've come to the conclusion after these years that it should be American heritage varieties. So that's kind of the focus So Mission, Zinn. Riesling perhaps doesn't quite fit in that, but you know, Riesling has been planted in California in huge numbers since the 1800s. Used to be very popular. One of the biggest white grapes Mm -hmm. ever here. Yeah, so I think it fits. Um, so that's the fo- so so that's kind of what it is. I I love I love Zinfandel. I love also that it's a little bit of an underdog. You know, you go to a restaurant and that takes great pride in their wine list, and you might find one or two Zinfandels and pages and pages of the other stuff. So it's been looked down upon a little bit, I think, by some years and. And also, you know, I sell a lot to Europe, and they love Zinfandel, because, like, they don't want to come to America to buy Syrah, yeah. you know, not or Cab, necessarily, a little bit of Cab, they'll buy that. But, you know, like Zinfandel for them is really interesting, and we should be proud of the history of Zinfandel here, especially here in California, you know, it's
0: an amazing, great... And so, besides the the Stampede Vineyard and Lodi, what other vineyards are you you working with, which the Stampede people are making great wines from... From that vineyard right now, it's really yeah, it's a great site. Really great ones coming from there. Great
1: site, yeah. You probably have had the my friends at Maitre de Chai. Have you had theirs? I have. Yeah, very good. And like lots of good producers out there. Yeah, I do. So the the same growers, the Perlegos brothers, they also ha- they have a couple of other ones, but they have another one um, very old. I think it's planted in the th- early 30s. Okay. It's called Cherry House. So I did that first year this year, and it's turning out amazing, you know, and very, very different from Stampede. Yeah. (laughs) Even though they're only a couple of miles apart, you know. So that's really interesting. I also take from uh, Lachlan Vineyard, which is in the tiny sub AVA called Yahant in Lodi. So that one I released first one in 2020. Uh, I did a a white symphonel of that in 21 which gets released now, and and this year I did Red again. So, um, yeah, it's good. It has a uh, a fresh kind of note. They're all kind of fresh. I, I tend to make symphandel in a fresh way, you know, or that sounded like I was full of myself there, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, I it's pick a little lighter, fresher and style. Retain mm-hmm. acidity, yeah, exactly, and not do too much oaking on them. Although I have to admit that symphandel sometimes really I, there's something about American oak and Zinfandel, I think works very, very well if you're very subtle with it, you know they're just meant for each other somehow.
0: yeah, I feel like you're not necessarily afraid of oak. I don't think I've had one of your wines that was over oaked, but it, it doesn't seem like you're it oh, I, I seem have like over <laughs> afraid of some some oak influence in them yeah, no i
1: I'm not I go back and forth. I you know I really like the freshness of no oak. You know, but at the same time, sometimes I feel like there's something magical that happens. If you have a little bit of oak and you have the patience to wait a little bit, there's something happens like five years down the line. Like my first Syrah from 2019, I totally over-oaked, I thought, on release. And now, four years later, it is in a very sweet spot. So, you know, it's kind of those, I kind of... I suppose I have to make up my mind about <laughs> what, but I, I think a really subtle use of oak, uh, you know, like twenty percent, maybe thirty. You know, that that's kind of where
0: I, I. I that's the cap I would say, and then or or no oak. Is it a tough line to ride as a new winery making a wine that you think is best in four or five years, while also of needing to sell them and get that vintage going it must be kind of a balancing act that you have to ride there
1: it is it's really hard you know and you know uh, 2020 was such a tough harvest you know it was just crazy how much the hours and very tolling so in 2021 i decided i'm I'm just going to kind of concentrate on whites because they are quicker to the market uh, but then I, you know, immediately regretted that and missed the red, so now I'm okay. back to normal. <laughs> but yeah, but whites are quicker to kind of recoup your costs on, and and reds can be tricky. You know, some of them need more time. You know, most of my wines, they age for about a year, and then I release them 15 months down the line. And that seems to work, but there are certainly a few of them, like the Syrah, I would love to be able to sit on longer. It just develops very nicely. but. Yeah, the reality is you can't
0: always. Yeah, it, it seems like you're you're very open with the, I guess, the, somewhat maybe the challenges, but also just kind of the day to day work of running a small one man winery. Yeah. You see, like the Instagram posts and yeah. everything. Um, even if it's just yeah. sulfur in a barrel, you enjoy teaching, or what is it that you enjoy about sharing kind of the day to day work of a small winery?
1: topping up the barrels because
0: uh, as you know uh, they
1: evaporate quite heavily actually I was there yesterday and did the top up on some of the white wines and barrels and some of the barrels needed two to three bottles full bottles of wine basically to bring them back up to full level and that's over after only a month you know and speaking of time you know Uh, I tend to top up each month. I think some wineries do it every second week or every third week. You know, it it, it depends on on your well. I think it's Uh, there's a lot of cloak and daggerism in in winemaking, and a lot of secrets. You know, and I've always been against that uh, because those who have helped me have been very open, and you know, I wish I could. I, I want to pay that forward, but you know, I also have to say I'm I'm not a very experienced. I'm pretty new as a winemaker. I have no training as a winemaker uh, whatsoever. I'm not. I don't say this in a proud way. You know, I, I wish I had. You know, but I just had to learn on the job, so to speak. And it was funny in the beginning. I I didn't know anything about cellar practices or how to even connect a hose. I had to go to my buddy Dusty Knobber. He's a winemaker. and Tell me how do I connect the hoses? And you know, he had to teach me how to do. <laughs> Basic yeah. cellar work. So I was kind of clueless in a way. So I just had to learn on the go. And, and uh, you know, I, you make mistakes. I make mistakes. So I don't want to teach anyone something because I have kind of rudimentary skills. But I want to be open with – I find that engaging. And there's a couple of winemakers I, I look up to that are very open uh, with their winemaking. I think it's great, you know.
0: You have your uh, Milk Bed series. <laughs> Of wines, and it seemed like those started. out was kind of orange wines or skin contact whites, and then have kind of morphed a little bit. Is there a is there a through line uh, through those wines?
1: <laughs> there was okay. <laughs> the originally is exactly like you said. I wanted to make because this was a remnant from my natural wine days. I, I wanted to make skin contact whites because they were exciting at that time. So that was, the the plan was always going to be at Milkfield, it was going to be skin contact whites. And as I kind of started drinking more and more of them and longer and longer, I just became less and less enamored with them. So I thought, you know what, I don't want to only do this. So now it is my experimental lab where I'm allowed to do anything I want. Okay. With any grape in any shape or form. And it's all limited editions. They will only be made once, basically. And then I move on to some other experiment.
0: So okay, the so kind now. of the test lab, and maybe maybe some of them move into like exactly regular production, and some kind of go away. Exactly. So the milk-fed uh, three was a pick pool, and that one turned out
1: so great that that's now a regular. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I did um, Petit Manseng as a skin contact for Milk Fed 2. And then I did it now for Milk Fed 5 too. And that was only because I had a contract on that Petit Manseng, And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that as a regular. So I made another Milk Fed with that. And this one has 100% new American oak on a white grape. So not at all my house style, but it's an interesting experiment. And yeah. actually pretty good. But you have to be prepared for that.
0: I feel like... It might have the acid, Petit Mansang kind of has that that acid that can be pretty pretty high and, oh, yeah. and, and lifted and it might have enough to stand up to the oak.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting grape. I think it has a, a, a potential for a great future in California where it's – especially in the hotter areas because it's one of those grapes I think you might find that will balance itself up perfectly and be like 24 bricks 3.1 pH. Eventually, it's not there yet. It's still too too much acid. But the warmer you plant it, the more it'll probably go in that direction. So I think it's a perfect grape for like high desert kind of plantation stuff. You know, it'd be. I think it has a great future here for actually. And I think what's his name, Tablas Creek, have experimented with. It. I think they uh, planted some. So and I think maybe a Morgan and those guys at Bedrock might have tried a little bit as well so there's certainly something yeah
0: i think it it could be a real grape of california with with climate change and planting in some of the the warmer areas either as a blending grape or as a standalone
1: yeah exactly and i mean i i don't know i think in france it's mainly used for Sweeter wines, right? I think I'm not. I think you're super. I think you're right.
0: I I haven't actually had any of them, yeah. but I think it's generally made as a later harvest style wine. Yeah, yeah. Any other misunderstood grapes that you kind of have your your eyes on, or that you are on the lookout for? And if you don't want to say, that's okay. I'll no, say. and <laughs> if you don't want to give away what you're looking for,
1: I have a few. I have a few tricksters up my sleeve i think um for the milk fed series you know where i can experiment Mm -hmm. uh so there's a couple there that i'm really interested in in trying but in general i think uh, the focus of sabelli frischt now is to be a little bit more consistent and with the american heritage varieties and kind of concentrate on um those you know and not do too much. I, I, I was a little bit like a kid in the candy shop in the mm-hmm. beginning, you know, and I had, I just took too many different things. And some of them are charming, but they don't really, they're hard to deal with or hard to sell, you know. It's like the Tinta Cow, for instance, was an interesting experiment, but it's, I don't think America is ready for Portuguese varieties quite yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a good, it was a good wine. And I think they grow grapes pretty well at that Tamayo Vineyard. But um, I know it's changed hands. and
1: Yeah. And Alicante as well. I had to kind of – I did it Alicante for three vintages. And um, the first one is really nice. But it's, it's, it's also a special type of wine. It has a very particular kind of flavor profile. And some people love it. Some people – it's just not – it's just hard to market.
0: You, know? you seem real comfortable in the Lodi area. What is it that you've that you've enjoyed about working – in lodi
1: well what's great about lodi is because it hasn't been ravaged by you know S- wall street types basically yet who buy trophy estates and drive up the prices on everything and tear everything out and plant stuff that they can sell it has a lot of history you know and i love all that and it's a real farming community it's like you know until guantonio's moved into town in lodi you couldn't even get a decent restaurant in the mm-hmm. place it was just you know it was very kind of charmingly stuck in its time in that way and i know a lot of people there now uh they know me so it's just easy i get tips about fruit hey there's this old vineyard here are you interested and i get that before others you know normally do perhaps because yeah they know me by now so it's just fall lends itself naturally to kind of lean a little bit into Lodi, and you know it's also a good spot for the pricing of the fruit is uh, you know a little bit less there than it is like in, you know especially in Napa of course but even in other areas around there so that helps as well and if you can elevate Lodi and we should because i think it's the best one of the best growing areas in in California you know uh, especially for Zinfandel i think Zinfandel there is amazing and it just be it's been vinified perhaps not correctly and a little bit too big in style. But they are some amazing historic um, vineyards there. And I think the future will show that Zinfandel from, and and other grapes too, from Lodi will really stand up. But I also am taking a little bit more from Santa Barbara County, even though it's about four times more expensive to get the fruit there. It just makes my life a little bit easier because Santa Barbara is a two-hour drive rather than... (laughs) A six seven hour drive with the trailer, so so yeah, I've increased that part of it a little bit, but I'm dedicated to Lodi for sure.
0: Your rieslings coming from Santa Barbara area, is that right?
1: Yeah, so I did four rieslings <laughs> oh, this okay. year, um,
0: all from all from Santa Barbara so
1: area. Two from Santa Barbara County or Santa Ines, uh, um, one from Salinas. Okay. Yep, and then one from Lodi, and the interesting part is that the Lodi one is probably the least you'd think like a Lodi Riesling would be, oh, you know, right. That's,
0: you know, maybe a little
1: flabby and lacking acid. Not, not at all. It's just exact opposite. It's probably the most racy of the four. Very good. Yeah. In, in acid, which is amazing. And I released one last year too. That was from Lodi. It's called Bund. Um, I've actually put it on hold right now because I think it needs a little more time. It had, a that one I had to filter okay. very, very heavily, and something with when you filter heavily like that, they kind of get a little bit discombobulated. And this you, this year's is much, much better than last year's. The last one will be good too. Eventually, it just needs a little bit.
0: Is more that time one? That, so that one is bottled. It's just on hold. Yeah, it's been okay. out actually. I
1: did I, I on hold for now. Yeah, but the new ones coming, the the 2022, I will release here in spring. So that's getting bottled right now, and it's it's fantastic.
0: What other differences do you notice working in Santa Barbara versus some of the more North Coast Lodi? I know you've been in you've been in Contra Costa, I guess El Dorado, also. Yeah, a little bit. What do you notice different about Santa Barbara? Yeah, they're
1: quite different. Well, Santa Barbara is a bit more buttoned up. It's a lot more money there, of course. It's a very expensive area, so it reminds me a little bit more of maybe a Napa mm-hmm. okay. in a way. Even though the climb is completely different, but, like, in the way they approach stuff, it's kind of, you know, everything's neat and trellis, right, and, you know, farmed to within an inch okay. of its life, you know. And so that's kind of nice because it's uh, – Lodi's a little more older, a little more sprawly, a little more – It's a little more know, wild. A little more wild. And then you go up to El Dorado and those places, and it's – it can be pretty wild, you know, up there, Am- Amador and um, – I haven't taken anything from Amador, but I took from El Dorado for a bit. I suppose Paso Robles is a little bit like Santa Barbara. It's a little much warmer, but they're also pretty buttoned up there. You know, it's kind of got that.
0: You're a cinematographer by trade. Do you think that, does that influence your winemaking in any way? Or does it scratch like a different creative itch?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've actually been thinking about that. If they have any touching points. I don't think they have great touching points. But what I can say is that, you know, all those years spent, shooting commercials and being close to ad people and creative ideas is that I kind of have maybe a little bit easier to m- understand marketing, mm-hmm. perhaps. And I kind of knew from early on that I had to be personable with my wine brand. Otherwise, because there's so many corporate wine brands you know, that just have an Instagram account and they sh- shoot the rosé yeah. bottle against the sunset or the vineyard, and they say, it's Rosé mm-hmm. Friday, or, or something like that. And I just knew that's not, you, you just can't communicate that way, you know? So that was very early on, that I, I, I realized that, and that seemed to work. Now, I'm a little too scruffy sometimes. I wish I could polish, take some of the polish I do in in commercials <laughs> and bring it to my, but the reality is it's just me, you know? I don't have an assistant running around a camera shooting me, you know? But So I just have to do selfie stuff. But hopefully, I can maybe elevate that a little bit in the future. Yeah. So that's the only thing that informs it, I think.
0: I think your brand launched, though, as a pretty fully formed with the the packaging, the bottles, the the label, it's all it's all pretty elegant and really put together. Yeah. So thank you. You must have picked up. Thank you. Yes. Something along the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I I did realize there that. I needed professional help, so I had an old friend in Sweden do it, who's a designer. And we we pretty early settled on that minimalism. I mean, mean, I'm naturally a minimalist, just how I am wired. But, you know, we didn't want to play on any of this ancestral or history stuff. We wanted to be clean, modern, and so that's what we did. And we settled on that kind of embossed look. Mm -hmm which people complain about sometimes. I can't oh, really right. see <laughs>
0: okay. what the brand is, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, one thing I meant to ask you when we were talking about mission is, what do you feel like the aging curve of mission is or, or your missions more specifically? How well do you think they, they can go out for?
1: I, don't, I That's a very good question. And I'm still not sure. You know, it has a son of, kind of a tannic backbone, that would suggest it could age uh, but what it sometimes lacks is a little bit of acid the grape itself is not a very high acid grape so that would kind of speak against it and it also has a but it yeah, it has a lot of fruit forwardness, you know, initially, like a lot of strawberry notes that might also fade into something interesting. So I think it's 70% for, it can age well, 30% okay. against, <laughs> about. Uh, but I think, you know, the 2018, the first year now, people are saying is 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 pretty good still. So it's, at least it's lasted five years, you know. So that's good.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's... <laughs> I think there's aging potential. It just hasn't been that long since people have really been treating Mission as a serious grape.
1: Right, exactly. I don't know what they did on all all those years. But, you know, yes, it has a little challenges, you know, as a grape. It doesn't have deep color and stuff like that. But for it to warrant all the hate it used to get in, you know, wine press and also old wine books, I I don't understand what they did, to be honest. Because it's not that – it doesn't – it's not that bad, you know, even if you really screw it up.
0: Do you think it was a crop uh, load issue maybe? I don't know. Like o- overcropping
1: or? Could have been. Could be. But the funny thing at Somers is is by all, uh, you know, measures uh, an overcropping vineyard. It is. Okay. Those vines are eight feet tall and they're just huge and they produce sh- tons of fruit. And, you know, they do thin them a little bit, but it's still crazy. And it still still manages, you know to make interesting wines. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure. It is a very sturdy high cropping grape and that's obviously the reason the conquistadors brought it with them. They knew something, they knew it would have, stand a good chance to survive in the new world because it is sturdy, you know, it's just a, it's a tough little grape, you know. And the bunches are also so thin, right? So lots of air move through them. They don't get bunch rot and stuff. So they're, they're kind of disease proof in a way, too, in many ways. So, they they were onto something. They were smarter than you think, those old.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's planted in a few different climates and a few different areas in California. So, to say that it doesn't make good wine from any of those is kind of a wild statement.
1: Yeah. I would love to see it planted up north, though, where it really cold climate to see what how it would we do but i mean nobody's going to plan it in sonoma it's just too expensive you know uh, or up there but you could maybe go up to like humboldt county or you know something like that and try to you know that'd be something to
0: experiment with yeah the missions day. didn't make it up <laughs> that far in california they no they stopped before they got up there
1: i wonder if they'd retain a bit more acid uh, up there maybe that'd be interesting yeah, maybe an experiment to do.
0: Yeah, see if you can find somebody. Buy to some <laughs> land. <laughs> find somebody to put yeah. some some cuttings in. Exactly.
1: I should also mention that I I, I am expanding my Syrah a little bit. Uh, and the Syrah does not fit at all with the American mm-hmm. heritage tradition. It's just I happen to love Syrah very much. So it's a little bit of an indulgence. But I think what's going to happen is because I take one one of the Syrah, or oh, only Syrah I make, I take from Lodi, and it's from really old uh, vines. They're planted in 1964. Okay. Bone rooted. So, very interesting little vineyard. Smuggled in. Is
0: that the Harris, uh, Harris Syrah? Yeah. Okay.
1: And they were smuggled in from Australia, cuttings. So, there was actually Shiraz, mm. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. Um, I think I'll break that out into a little sub brand, that's the plan now. Okay. For the Syrah. Kind of not to contaminate the American heritage idea. So so they'll be not they'll be under Sabelli Frisch, but they'll be like a milk fed. Mm-hmm. You know? Like and I'll I'll just do like Syrahs in that little one or two Syrahs in that little special okay. side. Side milk fed. I haven't decided what to call it yet, but uh, I'm working on it.
0: Now. What is it that you like about Syrah? What's the thing that grabs you with it?
1: What I love about Syrah is that you can vinify it at You can pick it at 18 bricks and it can excel. Or you can pick it at 27 bricks and it can excel. It's just – it has the biggest range of any grape. It just excels in all of those, in the whole range. And I don't know any other grape that can do that. And also that kind of stem, inclusion, whole clustery world is so enticing on Syrah, on on, on the lower alcohol level, you know, style. It's just very, very – crushable and juicy and also food friendly and ageable you know it's like it's the perfect kind of sweet spot so uh, that's really really nice and I also think Syrah is kind of a little bit you know I mean he has got a little bit more recognition over the years here now but I think it goes in waves right it it becomes popular and then it kind of goes away and it definitely fluctuates I think it's on the upswing a little bit now yeah I think but it, it should be on everyone's
0: Table, I think. Do you use whole cluster in the Syrah that you currently make?
1: No, I don't. And uh, now I've kind of established the style for that wine. So I think I'll, I I, I did a little bit, like maybe like 10% last year. So I I might increase that a little bit, but I don't want to change the style completely on that one. But for the new one, I think I will do that because there's something very charming about that style.
0: Where do you tend to come up with the names?
1: For your wines. So most of them are named after cinematographers. Okay. That I admired. But they can also just be a cool name. So lanterna is, I think, for instance, for the flame Tokai, it's called lanterna. Lanterna is a Swedish word for a a lantern. Mm -hmm. But I think it's actually a borrowed word from the Latin language. So it just seemed to be right for that color, you know.
0: Yeah, beautiful color. And
1: uh, yeah. And like the Tinta Cow was Luciades, is like their Portuguese national anthem, like one of those historic Mm -hmm. anthems uh, or themes, and they call it, or or like a poem or something, you know. So, and I thought Lucy, I read that and I was like, oh, that's just a great name. I got to use that. But most of the wines are named after cinematographers. So the Gordon W., which was my first Alicante, that's Gordon Willis, the godfather cinematographer, brilliant Oscar winning. And Harris is named after Harry Savides, another famous cinematographer, also dead now, unfortunately. So, yeah, stuff like that, mainly.
0: Great. Can you let everyone know the, the best places to either stay stay up on what Savelli Frisch is doing and be able to get some of your wines?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I'm – probably best is the Instagram account, Savelli Frisch, just straight up, no hyphenates. Uh, you can also go to my website, uh, sabelli sabeli and yeah, I've also just recently gotten distribution last year here in California. So you'll be able to catch the wines, I think, um, in, in more places than they used to be. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, I keep getting, you know, people taking a uh, bottle shots of it at mm-hmm. the restaurant here and there. I was like, oh, I did, I had no idea it was in that, you know, restaurant. Yeah. Are
0: there certain yeah. wines that are in distribution and some that are kind of winery only? Yeah, so they, exactly, so the
1: milk fed tend to be, so the smaller lots I tend to do just for direct for customers, but the mission and some of the Riesling, and some of them, yeah, are in wider distribution. You know, The mission is, seems to be the constant and zin. Okay. Almost everyone has taken that one of my
0: distributors, both here and abroad. Thanks for listening to my interview today with Adam. If you haven't had a Mission wine recently, I'd urge you to try one and see how the grape is being approached by Adam and some of the other winemakers he mentioned. You can follow the podcast on wherever you're listening, and also the Instagram at IndieWinePodcast for updates, or email IndieWinePodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will be with Christy Tacey of Tessier Winery. Christy is a trained microbiologist who now uses those skills to make minimal intervention, Pinot, Movedra, Rieselain, Rosé, and more from San Cruz Mountains, Anderson Valley, El Dorado, Arroyo Seco, and other Appalachians. Thanks. Have a good one.